Wow, that was wonderful. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Joe and team. What a blessing to be able to worship with people like these. Um, I'm so thankful, super encouraged. One of our things here at Midland Free, if you're new, is we want to um, enjoy God. We want to embrace his word and we want to engage his world. And as we do that, we're hoping that each day we will move one step closer to Jesus. And I don't know if you pay attention or not, but those songs, guess who they were about? <laughs> that is as Christocentric or Jesus focused as you can get. And I'm super, super thankful for that. Thank you, team, for your hard work. Uh, my name is Pastor Jeremy. If you're just joining us, um, let's pray again. And uh, we will continue to worship God this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus, your son. Thank you for his fulfillment of prophecy in all things that are good. Lord, as we look at Ecclesiastes, um, this author did not at that time know uh, what the son of God would look like. He knew about you and your justice and your goodness and your righteousness and your wrath. But he had not seen that revealed in a single person. I thank you that we have, we can glorify him, and yet we can still learn from this text this morning. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to do that now. In Jesus' name, amen. So, welcome here again. My name is Pastor Jeremy. Um, We're looking at the book of Ecclesiastes in our church, and that's a big word, but we talked about it earlier. And Ecclesiastes is what we call uh, in Greek, it's ecclesia, it's a gathering, it's the words of the preacher. The book never actually tells us who the preacher is, so I don't give them a name. Traditionally, people think it's Solomon, which in some ways would make sense, but in other ways it doesn't. So, we're just calling it the teacher, he or she, whoever they might be. And these are their words. In this book. Now, each book of the Bible, and in fact, many different sections of the Bible, are um, different forms of writing or different literary genres. Now, I'm by no means a poet or an English laureate or anything like that, but I have been taught or told how to process these different forms and so for example you you naturally do this when you read the psalms you read poetry when you read paul in the new testament you read letters and logical argumentative style just like what we would do today if we were trying to write a logical letter when you read the gospels you read what's called gospels and there's a story of jesus's life and so you get story but inside those stories sometimes there's parables and those work a little different not only are there parables in the bible there's proverbs there's legal literature there's lists there's history there's law there's all different forms of literature and Many of those sort of process naturally based on our experience. But this book is different. It's very different. And it's generally lumped into what's called wisdom literature. And yet you know it's different than Job. It's different than um, Proverbs. It's different than what we're typically um, working ourselves through. It's a hard book. I've been wrestling with it a lot and thankful for the opportunity, but it's still a challenge. And I I assume it challenges you too. But the way I want to unpack it today is this, is if you think of this next section as a sandwich, there are several different layers to that sandwich. You know, if, if you're one of those people and you like to eat your food, you know, one thing at a time and you eat your meat and your vegetable and whatever... That's the way we're going to unpack this today. But some, you know, some folks like my friends from India, they like to get a little this, a little that, a little this, a little that, mix it all together and have a nice conglomeration in the middle. (laughs) That's 
kind of what it is, and yet it's hard for me to process it that way because there's so many things that the author talks about in this next section. The author talks about justice, injustice, judgment, the afterlife, one's portion, and all these different themes. And it feels like as a preacher, it's like, okay, so where do I go with this? Or where do I go with that? But what I always try to do, either successfully or unsuccessfully, is go where the author wants us to go. Not where I want to go or whatever else, but where's the author leading this? And so as we unpack these various layers, um, What we've done in sermon one is we gave a big overview, an eternal perspective. Here's what the book is all about. You know, living today for forever. That's the big umbrella. And then we moved into a couple key themes. Like, for example, enjoying life or enjoying one's portion. We used pie to illustrate that and how we often argue about the size of our slice or how many blueberries or the crumble topping or whatever. And the idea is just enjoy what you have to the glory of God. Enjoy, embrace, engage, enjoy. And then the second one that we, or the third one that we talked about was the, the gift that we received. And we walked through that birthday story analogy as well. So we've done the big picture. We've done the portion. We've done the gift. There is some of the portion and the pie and the gift in this, but I'm going to leave that out and let you go rewatch those sermons if you want to do that. I'm also going to leave out the stuff on the afterlife because this author only has a partial picture. They're not into the New Testament yet, and we have more on that, so I don't want to just leave it here. Instead, I want to direct you here online. If you go to our website, you go to our homepage, here's a picture, midlandfree.org. And what you can do when you get there is you go to the next little tab at the top, and that is media. And under media, we have lots of options, like right now media and our app and stuff like that. But go to the one that's teaching seminars, and under teaching seminars, you'll find one on end times. And what that does is it looks to the future, to the resurrection, to the hope of the new heavens and the new earth. And it paints a picture as best we have of what is to come. I can't do that this morning in the next 25 minutes, so I'm going to take a lot more time there, and you can follow that through. So I'm not talking about that. I don't think that's the main idea. Instead, the main idea that we're getting after today is is basically this. I'm going to move at it in three steps, and these three steps are number one, God test. Number two, test our good. And number three, how to pass the test, how to pass the test. And I'll tell you how here in just a minute, but here are the steps to move through that we're going to look at the main theme for today. And that is number one, that God tests. Number two, tests are good. And number three, how to pass the test. So I'm going to roll into that justice, injustice, judgment, and outcomes. It's a test. And you'll see where I get that here in just a second. So test, God test, test are good, and then how to pass. Ecclesiastes chapter three. Are you ready? Verse 16. It says this, moreover, I saw under the sun, that's our realm of existence right now, life on this earth, that in the place of justice, even there, was wickedness 
in the place of righteousness. Even there was wickedness. And I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked for the time for every matter and for every work. And here it is in verse 18. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them. That they may see that they themselves are but beast. In verse 19, for What happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same as one dies, so the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beast for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust and to the dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down to the earth. This author did not know that at this time. The New Testament fills that in for us. And now in verse 22, so I saw that there is nothing better that a man should rejoice in his work for that is his lot, his pie, his gift, his portion. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Now back around to injustice and justice again, chapter four, verse one. And again, I saw that the oppressions that are done under the sun and behold, the tears of the oppressed And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of the oppressors, there was power. There was no one to comfort the oppressed. I thought of the dead who are already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive, but better than both is he who has not yet been and has not yet seen the evil deeds that are under the sun. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So how are we going to approach that? Well, remember... Three steps, God tests, tests are good, and how to pass the test. Number one, God tests. Let's go back to verse 18 again. Here it is up on the screen. I tried to make it pop as we read it. Um, There are different layers, but I think this is the meat. This is the middle. This is the core of the section. And it is this. The author says, I said in my heart, he's considering the justice and the injustice and all the terrible things that go on in the world under the sun, our experience It doesn't matter whether you're black, white, or anything in between. The reality is all of us have had bad things happen to us that are not good. Obviously, some people more than others. And this author who does not have a great picture of the afterlife yet is wondering, what's up? What do we do when bad things happen to good people? That is not fair. You learn how as a child from day one to cry out, not fair. (laughs) We all want justice. Where is it? Under the sun. Sometimes it's hard to find. Even the places where there should be justice, there isn't. The courts of law and stuff like this he mentions earlier. What then do we do? Who do we leave it to? Who will actually accomplish justice on our behalf? Verse 18. He says, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them. That they may see that they are beast. Hey, listen. We have to say, we have to admit, we have to recognize, and we have to accept that God tests people. God tests you. God tests me. God tests us. God tests us, and it's totally within his prerogative to do so. He has the right. 
He has the ability. He is free to do so. And every time he does so, it's good. God tests us both individually and corporately. You see that in the Old Testament in Israel, particularly in Judges chapter 3, verse 1, where he talks about the nations that were left in the land. And he says, now these are the nations that the Lord left. Why? To test them. You know, if he made it easy for them, no big deal. But there's got to be some proof that they believe, that they trust, that they follow. Where is that proof? Where is that resistance? Where is the wind in their face? That's what these people are here to do. All the Philistines and the Amalekites and the Hittites and all the other ites and mites that there were. They're there to test them. Not only with a corporate group, but let me just say, by the way, we're a corporate group too. And God tests us as a church and puts hard things in front of us. And he wants to know if we'll follow him. And they may not be Hittites and Amalekites and Philistines and otherites, but it's there. And we as a church will be tested. And I believe we have been tested and we are being tested. God tests. He tests corporately. He tests individually. Look at Genesis chapter 22, verses, verse 1. It's one of the most famous tests in the Bible. It's the test of Abraham. And just looking at the first part, it makes clear after these things, God tested Abraham. God tests the nation. God tests individuals. God will test our church. He will test you specifically, each one of you, whether you're old, whether you're young, whether you're anywhere in between, it doesn't matter. God will at some point test you. Maybe you feel like he's testing you right now. Maybe he tests you every single day. Maybe you just got one great big test that's hanging over you that you can't get out from under. God tests. He tests us. One exception that I need to make really clear, as I say test, we need to be clear about what we're saying. God tests, he never tempts. God tests, he never tempts. What is the distinction? Temptation has to do with evil. James chapter 1 verse 13 says, let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. He is untouched by evil. So he won't even think of doing you harm. He can't. It's not within his realm of possibility. He is perfect and holy. Evil doesn't ever even come across his radar. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured enticed by his own evil and desire. You can't say God's putting evil in front of me. No, that evil is already in you, in me, in us. It comes from us. When we are tempted, it's different than we are tested. Tempted is evil coming out and trying to seize upon what's already there. That's why the Lord's Prayer says, deliver us from evil. We think mostly that's outside. Actually, mostly that's inside. Deliver us from that evil, that heart change that we can't do on our own. God tests. He never tempts. He wants to test our hearts. Proverbs 17, 3. If I haven't made this clear, Genesis, Judges, James, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs says, the Lord tests our hearts. The Lord tests our hearts. He wants to know, what are your allegiances? Where are they? Are they a political party? 
Are they a nation? Are they kingdom of God? The Lord wants to test your heart and see if you trust him. Do you actually believe that he'll come through? The Lord wants to test your motives. Why did you do that? We can do good things with bad motives. And we can do bad things with good motives. I know at times I've come to a point in the end of the day where I'm like, man, I really bunged that up, but I meant for good. (laughs) I think the Lord sees that too. He tests the heart, even if things don't work out just right. If your intentions were good going into it, he sees that. If you do something good and your intentions were maybe a little selfish, he sees that too. God tests the heart and he wants to know what are your motives? What are your priorities? Where are your allegiances? The Lord is testing you. It's a test. But be encouraged. It's only a test, right? This is a test. This is only a test. It's a test of the emergency broadcast system. Our kids probably don't know that. (laughs) I've got it in like the back of my brain forever. It's a test. It means it's temporary, right? It means it shall pass. This too shall pass. Why? Because even if we suffer our entire life, what does that mean? At some point, the suffering ends. We have a limited amount of suffering to endure. It's finite. Tests are temporary, even if it's your whole life. It's temporary. Tests are temporary. You know that from growing up in school. Kiddos, listen, you took tests. There's a time limit on those. And God has set a time limit on your test as well. He will not allow it to go beyond its appointed time. There's a time for everything. A time for everything, Ecclesiastes says, including your test. Your test will end. It'll pass. It's limited. It's finite. Now think with me a minute. Kids, you may not admit this, but once you get out of school, you'll realize tests are actually good. (laughs) They're good. I didn't enjoy them. You know, there's a lot of hard stuff in tests. If you're just thinking about tests in school, what are some of the hard things about tests? Go ahead. Shout it out. I know there's a few students summer away at the Lake Ann retreat. God bless them. Good luck in Romania. You know what I'm talking about. Um, what are some hard things about test kiddos go for it just kids hard what's that grades okay another one word problems problems. those are specifics but what are some ideas or concepts that are hard about tests see if i can get where i want to (laughs) time limit what'd you say back there not what couldn't hear him. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> here's a few of the things I thought of. I thought I'd get there. I didn't. But here's some of the few things I thought of. One is uncertainty. Like you don't know how, what's going to be on the test. Maybe your teacher told you, but a lot of times they don't. It's up to you to sort of figure it out. No one paints a perfect picture of the test. What about this mental strain or emotional strain. You know, it's, it's scary. It, it's frustrating. It's difficult. It's hard. What if I don't do well? What, if, what will my parents think? What do my friends think? What if I'm tempted to cheat? There's all this uncertainty. There's all this pressure. And it's scary. And I don't like that. Beyond that, it's hard work. It's not like I can just go home and play with my friends. And go to bed late. And eat ice cream. And get up and do well on the test. It doesn't work that way. 
have to forego other things in order to be successful. And I have to discipline myself and think ahead and work hard. I see some of the parents looking at their children going, <laughs> amen. Those not for the children, parents. It's actually for you and for me. You see, God tests us. And what do we not like about that? Well, there's strain. There's uncertainty. Does anyone here besides students have to live with uncertainty? There is hard work. We have to discipline ourselves and forego other things that we might actually enjoy in order to be successful. There's emotional strain. All these things are naturally built into our lives. And we look at our kids and go, come on, this is important. Don't you get it? And we should turn the mirror around and look at ourselves and say, come on. This is important. Don't we get it? It's hard. It's not fun. It's not easy. But we know from that smaller experience that we should understand that tests are good because they stretch us. They grow us. They reveal things. We gain new knowledge. We gain new experiences. And as we grow in our knowledge and experience, we grow in our confidence. So when that same test comes up again, and they will then we do better next time. See, that's the thing. You don't get to learn addition and subtraction and then be done with it. You have to use it over and over again. Even if you get to the highest levels of math, you're still dependent upon those basics. And so too, with our Christian life, we learn these basic things and we don't ever get done with them. I hear myself and I hear others saying sometimes, you know what? I sure hope I learned my lesson because I want to be done with this. (laughs) We never do. We have to keep learning and keep learning and keep being reminded in the same lesson over and over again. Why? Because it all builds upon itself. Tests are good. And if we do well, if we, we, we may fail one, we may have to retake that class. We may have to drop that class and come back at it again. But if eventually we do pass, what that means is we have the satisfaction of a job well done. If we make it to the end and we get to heaven and we've been tested over and over again and several times we fail, but eventually we pass, we will hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. First Peter 1, 6 through 7 says, in this you can rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that here it is, the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's more is there's so much more going on to that in that passage too. We talked about it in our first Peter series, but um, the Greek word there to test is the same word they use on metals in the ancient world when they wanted to see if they're fake or real. And they burned them really hot. And if they were fake, they just burned up. If they were real, the bad stuff came to the top and the pure stuff remained. That's what's happening to us when God is testing us. Test Abraham, test Israel, test us. God tests and tests are good. We may not like it, but we have to admit it and accept it that God tests and tests are good. Number one, God tests. Number two, tests are good. And number three, 
Here's where we're all wanting to get. Number three, to pass the test, we have to believe the promise. To pass the test, we have to believe the promise. To pass the test, believe the promise. I'll get to our promise here in a minute, but I want to walk it through Abraham again because his is so like cookie cutter clear. And then ours will come after that. But let's start with the word belief there first because belief is such a big deal. I think in modern evangelical Christians, we're just like, oh yeah, we believe. We got that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But no, no, no. You don't understand. Belief is a big deal because if God says something and you say you don't believe him, you're calling him a liar. You're saying that what he says is not true. Well, I wouldn't call him a liar. He just... What? He doesn't know? He's wrong? He doesn't have it figured out? He hasn't seen the beginning from the end? Do you realize who you're talking about here? This is the one who knows all things, and we must believe him. And to not believe him is the height of an insult. That's why salvation is by grace through faith from beginning to end, because it's all about belief, and it's not just some intellectual assent, but it's like, Looking at the person and the character of God and saying, I affirm that. I know you are good. And I know you are truthful. And I know you are capable. And if God is good, and if God is in control, then what does that mean? Oh, wow. (laughs) Let's try that again. Jesus wins. Thank you. What does it mean if God is good and God is in control? Then... Jesus wins. Absolutely. You see, if you don't believe God, you're completely insulting him. Well, I wouldn't say that he's not good. Oh, okay. So you mean he can't follow through with his promise? Well, because uh, he, either he's telling you the truth and he can, or he's not and he can't. And we don't want that outcome. We want to say that God is good, God is in control, and Jesus wins. That's what faith means. It's so hard for people to define faith. You know what faith is? heard the best definition of faith in my entire life this week from Warren Wearsby. It's this. Here's the definition. We live by promises, not by explanations. We live by promises, not by explanations. Or you might say promises, not proof. We live based on God's promise. And when we believe God's promise to us, that's called faith. He may not fill in all the gaps. He may not answer all the questions. He may not give us everything we want. But we still believe that what he said is true. And he'll come through. That's called living by faith. We believe the promise of God. Look at Abraham and how he does that. Genesis chapter 22 verse 1. Again says after these things God tested Abraham. And he said to him Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said here I am. And he says the most outlandish, crazy, ridiculous, antithetical, counterpunctual, Almost seemingly, I don't even want to say it, illogical thing that one could say. 
Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love with all your heart. And go to the land of Moriah and stab him through the heart and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the high mountains. What? Are you kidding me? Wait, wait, wait. I thought, God, you were good. This doesn't look good. God, I thought you promised lots of descendants. How can you? You can't. If you kill the son, you can't. Wait, wait, wait. Didn't we just say that God is good and God can? Do you believe that promise? Do you believe that God is good and God can? If you're believing that, then you're going to obey even though everything seems to say don't. But God is good and God is in control. And so Abraham, despite all the things that naturally come along with tests like uncertainty, emotional strain, sacrifice, difficulty, he believes God. And Hebrews chapter 11 verse 17 says, Abram believed by faith when he was tested. He offered up Isaac, whom he had received the promises. Oh, there's that promise again. In the act of offering up his only son. Roman tells, Romans fills it out and says, Abraham believed God. He believed. It was counted to him as righteousness. In order to pass the test, you have to believe the promise. Abraham's promise was that God would raise up a nation through him and bless him and the rest of the world. And he believed. And it worked out. What is our promise then? What is our promise? Well, I can actually take you back to Ecclesiastes to show you the answer to that. Same chapter we were just in. Verse 17. The author concludes, rightly so. I said in my heart that God will judge. God will judge. God will judge. That is our promise. That's actually an assurance and an encouragement to you and to me. Why is that? We have the New Testament. We have further revelation. We understand what happens in the end more so than this author. But the principle, the theology is there. Is that fundamentally because God is good and God is in control. He knows the beginning from the end. In the end, everything will work out. And for that to happen, for everything under the sun, where you see all this injustice, where you experience unrighteousness, where things don't always work out, it means that at some point, someone has to judge. Somebody has to make this right. And that's why you see on our graphic for this series, that gavel, it's not that God's a big, mean, angry God in the sky waiting to drop the hammer, but it's the reality that at no sin ever goes unpunished. No sin will ever be unpunished. Either God will mete out his wrath on his son on the cross or on the offender themselves. God will judge. That's who he is. He's righteous and just and he can't do anything else. He will vindicate the righteous and punish the wicked. He will vindicate the righteous and punish the wicked. And that is a great encouragement. What that means for those who believe in Jesus as your only savior. Is that means that a day will come. There will be a day. 
There will be a day. It may not be under the sun. But there will be a day in which the evil are punished and there is a reckoning. And justice delayed is no longer justice denied. There will be a day. God will judge. And that should encourage us and also cause us to live very circumspectly as well. And as I come to that point, I'm like, oh boy, I wonder if I'm believing the promises or not. Are you? Do you believe the promise that God will judge? Here's some ways to tell. It's interesting, as you look back at verse 17, you can actually, 17 begins to tell you how. It says, God will judge who? The righteous and the wicked. Well, how do we separate the righteous and the wicked? Just like we just said, the righteous believe God, the wicked don't. The righteous believe God, the wicked don't. Well, how can you say that? I thought the righteous are those who are perfect. Oh, no, they're not. There's only one who is ever perfect. And the rest of us just get to believe in him. Look at Abraham. He was nowhere near perfect. Read his life in Genesis and you will see a very unperfect person. But what you will see is someone who believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. The difference between the righteous and the wicked are whether they believe the promise or not. Now, what that does is this. You're like, oh, that's too nebulous. No, no, no. I can tell you. You can tell you based on your actions whether you're believing the promise or not. Let's say, let's say, for example, that we don't believe God will judge. You know what? We're under the sun. Bad things happen. God doesn't really follow through. Maybe there's some divine being up there, but eh, not really sure. What then? Well, then what it means is, It all depends on me. Like, I got to get as much as I can now because I can't guarantee that someone will ever pay me back for the good that I've done. And so it's on me under the sun to do everything I can to maximize my life. And if that's the case, then how do I interact with you? Well, you're here for my maximization. And I want to take advantage of you. And I want to be selfish. And I want to come out on top. Whatever that portion or slice of the pie is, I want to make sure mine is bigger because it's dependent on me. And if mine is bigger, then I feel good. And if it's not, I don't. And as you realize, those who do not believe in the judgment or the promises of God, all of a sudden, they're completely living for themselves. On the other hand, those who do believe that God will judge, well, you sure as whatever want to make sure That you're not taking advantage of somebody else. And so when that pie is offered, you're not going, oh, I hope I got the biggest piece. You're going, oh boy, I I hope I didn't take more than you. I hope yours tastes better than mine. Because then I know the Lord will come back and reward me for that. But if I take yours, I'm in trouble. But if I don't, and I give you mine, I'm blessed. And it's a totally different way of living You realize that the outcome is certain that judgment is a guarantee. And as a result, it doesn't depend on me. I don't have to protect. I don't have to guard. I don't have to conserve. I don't have to be in fear. But instead, I can live openly and freely and give and count on the fact that it will come back around. That's what shows us whether we're believing the promises or not. If you're living like this, that's not believing. 
If you're like, oh, that's believing. That's when you die to self, put others first. And when you do that, you actually accomplish justice. Micah 6.8 says this, do justice. How? Love kindness, walk humbly with your God. If you're always out to preserve and protect yourself, you're not going to be kind. You're not going to be humble. But if you're believing in God and his promises that they'll come true, that he will judge, then, like others first, and all of a sudden, you're just because you're not trying to rip anybody off. Here's the point we're getting at today, I believe, from Ecclesiastes. is this. To pass the test, believe the promise. Kiddos, your parents might ask you this question after church. What did Pastor Jeremy talk about? You want to pass the test? Here's the answer. To pass the test, believe the promise. To pass the test, believe the promise. God tests. He does. You may be going through one right now. You want to ask yourself the question, what does he promise me? What promise do I have to claim during this test? And know that tests are good. They will expand you. They will give you new knowledge and insight and experience. And in order to be successful, you have to believe the promise that God will judge. He will vindicate the righteous and punish the wicked. Father, we thank you and praise you for your goodness and grace. Thank you. For the promise of justice in a fallen and broken world where our experience under the sun is not always good. Lord, we know that you are, that you are always good. And so we pray as we conclude this morning that you would help us to trust in your goodness and your grace and not ourselves. Lord, help us to live by faith, to believe the promises And wait for the proof. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.